you know, for us in Kyiv at the time, our presence there is vital in telling people with confidence and in the most accurate way possible just what was going on. There are moments where your gut won't feel right, where you'll look at all the facts and circumstances and think, no, this isn't right. So this is what an exodus looks like. My coping mechanism at the time was to not think further than an hour ahead. Such was the immediacy and speed of Russia's aggression. The capital is Russia's ultimate prize in this war, a conflict that is getting all the more costly for both sides. on the 17th of January, moved my stuff into the flat and then headed to the office the next day where I just about avoided slipping over on the, on the icy pavements up the hill to the, to the BBC's bureau. Western countries, notably the US, were warning of something more sinister being afoot. You really got that growing sense of urgency outside and then you arrive in Kyiv where it felt young, it felt energetic. And when you speak to people, they would often say, we've been at war for eight years already. This is just part of Vladimir Putin bluffing. It really struck me just how normal and how vibrant it felt. It was completely at odds with the political rhetoric that was happening everywhere else, it seemed. Russia has invaded Ukraine by land, air and sea in what President Putin has called a special military operation. I confess I slept through the initial explosions, but I was told to get up and we walked up onto the BBC's broadcasting point, this balcony which overlooks this, this beautiful vista of Kyiv. And when I looked out at what was now a familiar view, it was completely different the shadow of war had effectively just fallen on the city like that. For the first time, after weeks of the focus being on the east, the capital city felt in the line of fire. We've just heard a siren go off for the first time. We haven't heard that before. Uh, the streets are unusually quiet. The signature cobble... You know, I told the story to this point. I trusted the judgment of the security teams we work with. Uh, and it felt right to continue to be there. Uh, James, can I ask you this? Um, are you happy to stay on with us now that the sirens are blaring in the city? Yes, I am, yes. I absolutely okay. was looking back, living on adrenaline for a, for a large period of time. That haunting feeling, that new sound and what that could mean. And it kind of continued from there, really. Now sirens sound almost daily across the country and. Sometimes people act, sometimes people don't. There are times where, for security reasons, we can't report certain things. So take drone attacks, missile strikes. You would see on social media, for example, a burning building on a certain street. And the security services banned people or urged people not to put that to the public because it would allow the Russians to adjust that strike potentially if they missed their desired target. We don't want to put people's lives at risk through doing our job. 
you know, we do see some pretty nasty things. We see the worst of humanity in some cases. That decision that Vladimir Putin made on the 24th of February has led to overwhelming evidence of war crimes, of civilians being targeted in, in just about the worst ways possible. It's led to tens of thousands of people, which will probably turn into the hundreds of thousands, losing their lives in this pointless war. But it's certainly, it's not easy and it shouldn't be easy. We try and look after each other. We talk our way through it. I've worked with some extremely experienced people who've seen nasty things in, in decades gone by. And, you know, it's good to get their advice, perspective as well, because sadly, as history shows us, episodes, events, wars like this happen over and over. How did it feel to come back home to Britain? It did make home feel different. Um, you know, when you walk on the, down the street where my flat is, and you don't hear a siren, um, where you go from walking next to destroyed buildings to standing in the local supermarket deciding what to grab for dinner. Um, it is a very difficult transition to make. My 87-year-old grandmother uh, was asking me about her son, and she pronounced it correctly. Some people sometimes call it curson because of the spelling, and I thought, that is great, you know, and it just shows, you know, she sits there and she watched BBC Breakfast and she cares about what's going on, and, you know, she's feeling the significance of it uh, as well. And then equally, um, you have the 12-year-old son of a friend who has seen some updates on TikTok and has questions. So it's a far-reaching conflict with implications too.